uh, one of, we're, we're down to two more sermons in this book, The Good and Beautiful Life. This one is Learning to Live Without Judging Others. Can you believe it's September already? I mean, it, start, it starts to actually cool off today, so maybe it feels a little bit more like it. Uh, and we are already almost through the second book in the Good and Beautiful series. And as was mentioned in the announcements, here, I have a copy here, we are going into book three in just a few weeks. It's the Good and Beautiful Community, and if you didn't order them all at once, we're going to do one more group order for 40% off, and we'll be starting this in a few weeks. The, the byline is following the Spirit, extending grace, and demonstrating love. So this, uh, this third book we'll be talking about Christian community and what does that look like for those that follow Jesus. So get that, because I hope you've been reading along, because I think it really enhances what we've been talking about during our time together. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the, the book that we're in right now, The Good and Beautiful Life, where we've been spending a lot of our time in the Sermon on the Mount, right? And we've been challenged by the weekly practices. So today we are in Matthew 7 and talking about how to live a life without judging others. I'm going to warn you right now, this message might hit close to home. It did for me. So consider yourself warned, okay? Uh, so if you want to follow along, we'll be back in the Sermon on the Mount uh, from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. You can turn there if you want. We'll be at Matthew 7, 1 through 12, or I'll have it on the screens as well as we read through this. All right, so Matthew 7, 1 to 12, our passage today. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Learning to live without judging others. I found some great tidbits on this passage today from Matthew Barclay's commentary on Matthew. And I want to read you this quote I read there. Um, it's hard to read here, so I'll read it to you. It says, There is hardly anyone who has not been guilty of some grave misjudgment. There is hardly anyone who has not suffered from someone else's misjudgment. And yet the strange fact is that there is hardly any commandment of Jesus which is more consistently broken or neglected. This problem, this issue of judging others, right, it is a commonplace problem. We wound ourselves, we wound others, we're wounded by others in a vicious, continuous cycle. And yet the strange fact that he said here is that there is hardly any command of Jesus which is more consistently broken or neglected. And guess what, guys? He didn't write this in 2021. He wrote it in 1975. 
I'd hate to say, I hate to see what he'd say now, right? So, but we're in this chapter where we're talking about um, these false narratives that we believe about some of these things. So, in this chapter, what James Bryan Smith talks about is that there are these two false narratives that we can fall into regarding judgment. One is believing that we judge impartially. And the other is believing that when we judge it, it actually helps others. But instead, he says, there's an alternative narrative. It's Jesus' narrative. And that's that there is one righteous judge, God alone. And secondly, that instead of judging, we should ask and pray. This is how we learn to lead a life without judging others. So, you know, if we go back to it, you know, both of these false narratives, they, they collapse, right, under the slightest examination. Somehow we still fall for them, but... You know, it's easy to admit, uh, you know, with our, in our minds that our judgment isn't impartial, but we forget, right? We forget. Our judgment isn't impartial. It doesn't help anyone. When we set ourselves up as judge, we can temporarily feel better about ourselves because momentarily we feel superior. But that feeling doesn't last. It, it's kind of addicting, right? That feeling fades quickly, so we have to find another way to, to, get, to boost it again. Maybe finding someone else that we can judge to give us that quick hit another time, right? Remember Puccinello and the Wemmicks and the story we read? That if we're basing our worth on how we compare to others, we're always going to be striving for those stars, right? We're always going to be competing and putting others down in order to feel better about ourselves. There's no way to live. It's only when we are secure in our worthiness based on God's opinion of us that we don't need to judge others in order to receive that temporary feeling, right? We can rest like, like Lucia and like Puccinello in knowing that, that it's God. It's God's opinion of us that matters. So the, false, the first false narrative, right, is that we judge impartially. So just wondering, just curious, have, have you ever misjudged someone? Have you ever been misjudged? I, I should see some nods, because I think this has probably happened to all of us, right? This is a very, very common occurrence. Maybe you immediately think of a situation where you misjudge someone, and now you can kind of laugh at the memory. It's kind of a funny story now that uh, things have been resolved. But maybe instead, remembering a situation of, misjudge, of misjudgment brings back feelings of, of pain or grief, even still. Sometimes, those stories find a, a happy resolution, but sometimes they don't. Now, if you are um, writing a book, misjudgment is a common plot device, but it doesn't matter because we never tire of hearing it. So, in fact, it was a bit long for us to, to read this morning, but a children's book on the problem of misjudging others um, is actually very well told by a friend of mine, Lindsay Bonilla. Actually, she's here today. Uh, she's a local author. She lives in North Canton, and she wrote this book called Polar Bear Island. This one, uh, you may, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe not, but this is Polar Bear Island. Uh, if you're in Canton City Schools, a lot of the kids have been given this book. So, so in this book, uh, you see Parker the Polar Bear. He's the, he's the big one on the cover. He's the mayor of Polar Bear Island, and he is not happy when penguins decide they want to move on to his island. You see, Parker has some misconceptions about penguins, who they are, what they're like, what, what, what kind of value they're going to bring to his space. And those misconceptions, they cloud his judgment about welcoming them or not. Now, I don't want to ruin the book for you, 
But let's just say he eventually does learn that his original judgment was incorrect. Uh, and if you, if you want to hear more about the, the book, uh, Polar Bear Island, I asked Lindsay, she brought a few bookmarkers. They're over by the uh, offering uh, area today, and you can grab one of those if it's, I know, I know often when I share stories, some of you want to get it for your grandchildren or kids in your life. So this is a really good one on this topic, and then uh, our kids love it. We've got a copy, so check out, grab one of those bookmarkers if you want to find out more about um, Parker the Polar Bear. Okay, so if the age-old tale of Parker Polar Bear is not one that you are already familiar with, maybe you'll be more familiar with my next example. So one of my favorite books and one of the finest pieces of English, English literature is a novel by Jane Austen called, Aiden, can I get a drum roll, please? Drum roll. Aubrey, do you know what I'm going to say? What do you think? What? Pride and Prejudice, right? Okay. You guys know this is one of my favorites, right? You know, I love the novel Pride and Prejudice. Okay, so Pride and Prejudice, like the word in the title, prejudice, actually, you know, is pre-judging, right? So judging someone ahead of time. So this, is a, this novel's been made into books and musicals and movies and all, all kinds of things. This is a very famous story. And it really illustrates our point here because, you know, the two main characters in this novel, they observe each other, they hear gossip about each other, and they jump to altogether wrong conclusions about each other that cause havoc in their own lives and in the lives of those around them. Now, eventually, things get sorted out, and apologies are offered, and at the end of the book, you're smiling, right? Because it's a book, <laughs> and authors can do that, right? They can resolve things. Unfortunately, things don't always tidy up that easily in real life. But these, these cautionary tales that I'm talking about this morning, and many like it, they've been in the canon of literature for centuries, right? And yet we as a people persist in judging one another, and we almost always get it wrong. And this isn't to say we don't use discernment when forming relationships or in, you know, all the situations we're in. And I really want to encourage you to read the book because it talks about the difference between judging and assessing, you know, judging is something we want to avoid. Assessing is, is an important part of our lives. So he talks about this a lot in the chapter, so check that out. Um, but there is, a, there is a major difference in the two. We should use our skills of assessment. That's from God, right? Um, but we need to remember that we're not omniscient, and we're not able to be fully impartial. Uh, once again, uh, William Barclay, he said, history is strewn with the most amazing misjudgments, not just fiction, right? I mean, think of our artistic masters who were thought without talent by critics of their day, or maybe wealthy philanthropists later caught of embezzlement, right? We could go on. I'm sure you could think of plenty of examples of people who have been misjudged. But Jesus' narrative says something else, right? He says there is one righteous judge, God alone. God alone is the righteous judge. What a relief that it's not our job, that we don't have to assume that responsibility. There's one job, and none of us here are stuck with it. James 4.12 says, says it this way. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? In our Matthew passage, we see that it's talked about with this humorous image, right? Talking about, um, like, specks and planks, right? As Jesus told that story, that would have been ridiculous to people to hear him talk about that. Uh, so I, I found even, you know, people have illustrated this in different ways, in different cartoons and pictures. 
Uh, here's one saying, look at that stupid, you look stupid with that speck, right? This guy's got a plank in his eye. So like, this is the, the visual image Jesus was calling to mind for his hearers at the time. Of course, you wouldn't try to point out someone's speck if you knew you had a log in your eye. That's ridiculous. So then don't, assemp, don't attempt to usurp the role of God. When we position ourselves as judge, we are blinded by the act of judging. And judgment crowds out love. How do you want to be treated? He even asked that in the passage, right? With love, with mercy, with grace. So treat others that way. The first and last verses that we read in Matthew, they kind of bookend this section, and, and we see him talking about, you know, this idea of treating others the way we want to be treated. Sometimes the last verses we call the golden rule, right? And in the, in the middle, we see that God, the only one truly qualified to judge, he's a loving father who knows how to give good gifts, good judgments, good care to his children. So let God judge and treat others the way you want to be treated. Listen and be curious. The other false narrative is that we judge to help others, right? And, you know, I'm sure we all know this from experience, but... Harsh judgment rarely brings about true repentance, right? Maybe, maybe if you, you know, attack someone enough, they're going to temporarily change their behavior or change it maybe in, when they're in front of you. But rarely is that going to last, right? Most likely, you just damage the relationship or just cause the person you're talking to to avoid you. So what's the alternative? What's the alternative then to this false narrative of judgment as helping to others? Well, Jesus' alternative narrative is that we don't just throw up our hands with an OL attitude and, and just ignore things, but uh, in the chapter he talks about the, this passage asking us to, to ask, to seek, to knock. Are we lifting up people in prayer? Are we truly bringing them before the throne? Because when we pray for others, the posture of our hearts shift it shifts towards the one we're praying for. We allow God to influence how we're thinking about them. We can have more compassion when we pray, and we are more able to take a loving posture towards people when we pray for them. Secondly, as we pray for people, instead of just bringing judgment and condemnation on them, we're acknowledging that it's only God who can interfere in a way that's transformative, right? And we've been talking in this whole series about, about the difficulty of changing. And every week we come back to the fact that, you know, it's, it's not like the video uh, that JR showed last week that we just stop it, right? It's, it's more it's something that Jesus has to do in us. The transformation can only come when the Holy Spirit does that work in us and in other people. And so when we pray for them instead, we acknowledge it's only God that can intervene in a way that's transformative. So we're no longer setting ourselves up as the judge, but instead we're collaborating with God to help our, this other person. And thirdly, in prayer, we open ourselves up to the divine wisdom of God. And so instead of acting or speaking in our own power, prayer reminds us to wait on the leading of the Holy Spirit before we speak or act. So like I said, this, this, uh, this message may hit home for you. It did for me uh, as I was uh, preparing today. Uh, you know, some years, not every year, but some years I ask God um, at the as January 1st rolls around for a word for the year, a word that I, I want him to, 
I want to kind of saturate my, my prayer life and something I want him to be forming in me. So um, as I came up to the beginning of 2021, um, I felt like the word this year for me was the word curious. So not, not the kind of word I, I typically uh, would have for my word for the year, but this year my word was curious. So maybe an odd choice, but I really, you know, I think maybe part of the reasons that God put this on my heart was that I really came into this year burdened by the way that our society has become so fractured in so many ways and over so many issues and the seeming inability there is to have healthy dialogue over things over which we might disagree. So there's a quote that um, is often attributed to Walt Whitman, but I, as I researched it, actually they said this isn't something Walt Whitman said. Everyone says he said it, but it, it's not. It's an anonymous quote. We don't know who said it. Um, but the quote is, be curious, not judgmental. And the idea being that you know, curiosity is a bit of an antidote to judgment, right? Yeah, this year I've been trying imperfectly, imperfectly, very imperfectly, to at least be conscious of cultivating curiosity in my life. I want to be a person that is curious. I want to be someone who asks questions instead of jumping to conclusions, right? So if, I, if someone thinks something that I immediately think I disagree with what you just said, instead of just telling them what I think, is there a question I can ask? Can I be curious enough to want to find out more about why, why you think that? Tell me more about what you think. I want to understand you. I want to ask why. Have you ever met someone who engages in debate that way by asking questions? It's kind of rare, right? I think typically uh, what I'm witnessing today is that mainly when people are in conversation, I just hear a lot of talking and I don't hear a lot of listening. And I don't hear a lot of people asking questions. I hear people trying to be louder, trying to state their point more clearly, as opposed to understanding where the other person might be coming from. Not a lot of good gets done when there's a, a lot, all, everyone's talking and no one's listening, right? We can agree with that. So how do we foster curiosity? How do we foster curiosity? Well, for me, it's just been a, a matter of just being aware that that is something that it's okay to be a listener, to ask questions uh, and to try to learn from others. So, oh, before I go to our questions today, so, yeah, so listen, this is my summary of, of what I, I felt like God is saying in the passage today. You know, don't judge, right? That's pretty clear. Now, number one, it's not our job. We're not good at it. And taking on the role of judge is just damaging to our souls. It just damages us. So instead, right, so instead, be curious. Put on love and pray for God's will to be done. It sounds simple. A little harder to put into practice, right? So today in our story, we see that the Wemmicks, they didn't know that they could live a life without these dots and stars. They didn't know that that was possible. And even though the story is ta talking about how, you know, one Wemmick kind of gets out of the system by not caring what others think and just caring what the maker thinks, man, what, how different would their lives be if they just gave up the giving of stars and dots altogether, right? Because even though in our world the stars and dots aren't things that we see visibly on our clothing, they're out there. They're out there and they cause damage just the same. So I'm curious if any of this landed with you today. And so, you know, this morning being the first Sunday of the month, this is our time of communion, a time where we really um, spend some more time in introspection 
and listening to what God might be speaking to us as individuals. And so today as we prepare our, our hearts to take communion, um, I've got a few questions just that I would ask you to take before the Lord um, before you receive communion today. And so the first thing is, is there someone, maybe there's someone, maybe you feel like you've been on the receiving end of judgment and there's someone that you are harboring um, resentment towards because you have felt like you've received judgment from them. And so to ask God, is there someone I need to forgive for, for judging me that I've felt judged by and that's broken our relationship and I need to offer forgiveness and, and seek restoration in that relationship? But secondly, maybe to ask God, is there someone I've been thinking or acting judgmentally toward that I need to repent of today? Is there someone that I have been harboring judgment towards that I need to repent of today? And beyond that, is there any other action needed to make the situation right? I pray we would take these questions to heart this morning as we receive the gift of communion. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a good father and a righteous judge. Thank you for the freedom we have uh, in knowing that we are loved by you. You call us special, that you care for us, uh, and that you offer forgiveness for all of our failings and shortcomings. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus, and pray as we prepare our hearts to enter this time of communion and fellowship with one another and in communion with you, that our hearts would be cleanse, Lord, uh, that you would bring to, bring to our mind things we need to um, repent of this morning that we may more, more closely reflect who you are to each other in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>